You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. The debut novel by Jane Peck is The Verifiers. Thank you for joining me, Jane. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. You know, this is such an interesting novel. And what it made me think of was when the science fiction genre, as we know it now, was first invented, it was like the 1930s in America. And the present day was definitely the future. Well, and so the science fiction genre has always been associated with stories about the future. But now, since we whooshed past all the major dates of in science fiction, 1984, 2001, we passed 2019, which is when Blade Runner famously took place. Here we are in 2022. We are living, whether we want to admit it or not, in the world of science fiction from the past. And so the genre of science fiction has changed, I think, slightly, so that Stories like yours, set in the present, about the present, are just by virtue of their setting, which was the future, now it's the present, these stories are, in a way, they're science fiction. (laughs) And I really think that the way that you created your story is so much fun. It's so fun to read, yet it's also very thought-provoking at the same time. So I'm wondering... About how much, what genre you thought you were writing when you started writing the verifiers? Yeah, I, I mean that's a that's a really good question. Um, and you know, I'm actually really flattered that you know that you kind of bring up science fiction in connection with my novel. I read a lot of fantasy and science fiction, and that was actually probably my number one kind of genre love. You know, as a as a child reading. So uh, I have great respect for that genre and, you know, what people do in it. It's, I, I would say that, um, that, that the verifiers, I guess, has elements of um, a murder mystery. It is kind of structured as such. There is a murder and a detective. And the plot A of that novel is for the detective to find out who committed the murder and why and how to get them. So in that respect, it's very classic Agatha Christie, Sherlock Holmes, murder mystery. Um, At the same time, there's also an immigrant family story woven into it. And a lot of the novel is not just about the detective solving the crime, but also about who the detective is. So kind of getting more into ideas and concepts that you might associate more with um, quote unquote literary fiction. And I think that was always really important to me because I wanted the book to be about, first and foremost, a character. And so I knew that to the extent that the book was a murder mystery, it had also to uh, illuminate, I was like pun unintended, (laughs) illuminate who the protagonist was and how she grows and develops throughout the course of the novel. And then, of course, you know, as you alluded to, um, there are also science fiction elements to this because this is a novel 
and the mystery is about tech. And it's about the world of big tech and algorithms and machine learning and AI. And I would say that um, kind of the technology that I talk about in my book, I believe is all already existing. But at the same time, the companies that I have created and what they're using these technologies for are, you know, I very much hope not actually happening in our world. And so to that extent, I, I think there is definitely kind of a speculative fiction element to, to the book in terms of what if these technologies were being used in a certain way with certain consequences and what would happen. I think one, th one thing I would say is that when I started writing this novel and I actually started, you know, having the idea for it several years ago, um, it felt a lot more science fiction at the time because I think at that point in time, we weren't as, um, we hadn't progressed that far in terms of deep fakes and AI and the predictive powers of algorithms. Um, and then because I took such a long time to write it, at a certain point, I was like, well, everything that I'm talking about is actually already happening. <laughs> and in some ways, it felt more powerful that the novel not be clearly, you know, like you said, it's not set in the future. It's set very much in our present. Um, and it looks at, I guess, kind of certain aspects of technology that we might not think about as we go about our day using our phones and, you know, leveraging on various apps and programs that, that we all have access to. You know, one of the things you alluded at first to this being a mystery, and it really, you have so much fun with the mystery genre in this. Uh, <laughs> your, your character, uh, the, your, tell us about your detective character, who she is, where she comes from, and, and her. she's very interested in the mystery genre. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, so the protagonist of my novel is a 25-year-old um, Chinese-American female called Claudia Lin. Um, she's a Queens native, born and grew up in Jackson Heights. Um, kind of left the city for college and then has found herself back in New York again after graduation. Um, and she's at a bit of, you know, she's kind of that millennial, kind of a bit lost in terms of where she wants her life to go. She does know that she doesn't want the type of corporate career that her older brother has that you know, he wants to kind of push her towards because it feels like the safe, financially secure path to go down. Um, she is one of three siblings, um, the youngest. She has two older siblings. And all three of them were brought up um, by their mother um, single-handedly after their father left when Claudia was um, around nine or ten. And so because of that, um, they're at once a very close-knit family, but they also have a lot of resentments and complicated histories in terms of um, issues around favoritism, issues around the various paths that the different children have chosen to go down and, you know, how much the mother may disapprove of certain decisions that are being made. Um, 
And I think Claudia, on her part, um, doesn't want that conventional model minority path that her she believes her mother wants for her, that she sees her brother doing. Um, she wants to kind of you know forge her own path. She and she is a big reader. Um, you know, because I, I feel like as a reader myself, it's it's easier to write characters who, who love to read and then they can just kind of reference various works of fiction. And in particular, she loves reading this murder mystery series. Um, it's actually kind of a, a combination of a Chinese sword fighting and murder mystery series that's set in the Ming Dynasty featuring an Inspector Yuan. Um, I think one, I mean, one, one thing that I, that I take as a compliment is that various readers have asked me if this Inspector Yuan mystery series actually exists. And the answer sadly is no. Um, I, I just kind of made it up as I went along. And I wanted to use the Inspector Yuan series as a way to um, kind of poke a bit of gentle fun at various tropes of the murder mystery genre. And so Claudia is a big lover of mystery. She's also a lover of Jane Austen. She's a hopeless romantic, but she herself shies away from you know, any kind of um, committed relationships. And so, you know, she's like curious and contradictory. And I think part of this book is about her figuring out, along with the crime, kind of figuring out who she is and what she wants to do. Um, and just kind of how she can have a bigger life than she feels like she has been living up until now. Now, there's a couple things in that, what you were just talking about, that, that I want to unpack. For one thing, I have to say that you do a fabulous job with family dynamics in this novel. They play throughout, and, and you do a great job of creating each of the characters, the mother, Charles, the sister, Claudia, the way they interact is just very, very fun and funny and lively. There's a lot of humor in this novel, and it makes it a lot of fun to read. So talk about finding the humor in the family dynamics, but, you know, there's a you do a good job of it's fun to read, it's funny, there's lots of jokes, but at the same time we can feel there's a core of reality at the center of the emotions and the conflicts between these characters particularly, you know, the, the way the immigration work for them. And so I think that that makes this novel fun and uh, also affecting at the same time. And you do a great job of playing up the fun and the, the more affecting literary elements to the novel without ever um, entering the, the, and something that you actually make fun of, the kitchen window epiphany moment <laughs> um yeah no I, i'm glad you know well first of all i'm glad you found it fun and funny you know you one always worries writing humor that you know people might just not find it funny um i think so so i guess the family situation for claudia's family is that um her mother her parents came over from taiwan and her mother had three children, but for the two older siblings, which is Charles, the big brother, and Coraline, who's the middle sister, they were both sent back to Taiwan to be raised by their grandparents until they were, I think on Charles' part is like around eight and Coraline is around five. And whereas 
Claudia, because the grandparents already had two grandchildren to take care of, she ended up being raised by her mother, by her parents from the start in the US. And so that kind of creates various um, complications and rifts, I think, between the siblings because um, they are kind of jealous of how Claudia got to be raised by their mother from the start. Um, and also just this idea that um, they kind of represent different levels of the immigrant structure in that the mother is someone who came over from Asia as an adult. The two older siblings are people who were brought up in Asia during their uh, early formative years and then came over to the US. Whereas Claudia has always been in America and so thinks of herself as American. Although, you know, of course, just simply by the fact that she is Asian, um, there like, and I, I kind of play on this a bit as well, that there is sometimes that sense of, oh, you know, maybe she's not fully American. Um, and so I kind of came up with this idea for an immigrant family because I myself am a first-generation immigrant, but I am more kind of in Claudia's mother's camp in that I only came over here at the age of 18 and I made the conscious, deliberate choice to do so. And I did so because you know, I wanted to live in America. But I also wanted to explore what it was like for, you know, for instance, Charles and Caroline who didn't have that choice who were brought up in Asia and maybe would rather have stayed there, but were brought over here as children. And then I also wanted to contrast that with um, Claudia's experience as a second generation immigrant who has always felt only American, but at the same time is aware that she has this other cultural identity and is also aware that you know, kind of looking in from the outside, people might not, people would not just look at her and think, oh, she's American. And so I, I felt like kind of having this type of family set up allowed me to look at all of these things without having the book become a novel about the Asian immigrant or about immigrants. And I think that was something that I also wanted to do um, in terms of various aspects of who Claudia is, the fact that she's Asian American, the fact that she's female, the fact that she's gay as well. Like I wanted to create a character, oh, and that she's a second generation immigrant, I wanted to create a character that had all of these traits and therefore emerged as someone who was a unique individual. But I also didn't want this to become a book about the Asian experience or the lesbian experience or the immigrant experience. I just wanted those facets of who she was to kind of show how someone like that would move through the world and, you know, go solve a mystery, go have an adventures, go discover who she is the way every young person who is running around in New York City in their 20s is trying to figure out who they are. Mission accomplished. It was, <laughs> I thought that you handled the, the immigrant uh, aspect of it and the family aspect of it really well because uh, we enjoy reading about these characters because of your fun dialogue and, and the humorous interactions, but also because, as you say, your setup of the family gives you several different lenses. So you get, a, instead of having a one-dimensional uh, character or projection, you have a three-dimensional view of all these different people, and it gives you a great perspective. It's fun fun to read. 
now let's press it back to the other thing you said early on, <clears throat> which was about uh, Inspector Yuan. I have to admit, after the second time I saw Inspector Yuan, I was reading on an ebook, so I highlight that and I tell him, tell the ebook, look up that so I can see if, if it's real. And of course, it turned out, you know, it was not, I, it couldn't find it anywhere. I go, wow, that's really weird. I mean, it should. <laughs> but, you know, then I realized that on one hand, I realized what a great thing you made up this great uh, mystery, a whole mystery series within your what I think is the beginning of a great mystery series. Moreover, I found that by virtue of the way you did it, I myself was behaving a bit like one of the characters in your book, and that was so much fun. <laughs> so, I mean, how many notes did you have to write about Inspector Yuan? Did you make did you make these up as you went, or did you like once you started, did you say, okay, I've got to map out this whole series of sword and sorcery? Mm -hmm mystery books um so i i must confess that i'm a bit of a lazy writer in the sense that i'm not good with the outlining and the structuring and all that so i did pretty much make it up as i went i think how the inspector yuan references work for me was that as claudia was kind of moving through the novel and having you know having to interpret events um, whenever I saw an opportunity to kind of use an Inspector Yuan reference to, for instance, point out, oh, you know, this is what could be happening with a particular clue, or this is something that you should be thinking about when you're at the crime scene, that I would then kind of come up with a, with a title um, and then have a one-liner that basically kind of went a bit over the top in terms of... Um, using Inspector Yuan to, to establish what, what I wanted to point out that, that particular trope of, of the murder mystery. Um, I'll also say that I personally grew up watching these Chinese sword fighting shows um, and I, I really love them. And so I just felt like it'd be really fun to have the chance to you know, create my own Chinese, like Chinese historical sword fighting series that also then happened to be a murder mystery series. Have you given thought to writing those novels that you refer <laughs> to? Because I think that, you know, they would, they would be a lot of fun. They would be a lot of fun. I think, I think I have given like some vague thought to it, but I do feel like if I were to write it, I probably wouldn't want to write it from the perspective of, you know, like the, the male inspector. So, so I would have to figure out, you know, how to maybe like a spin-off from the Inspector Yuan series that yeah. was from the perspective of a secondary character within this made-up series. You, you could do it uh, Richard Bachman style, as it were. Now, uh, one of the things I think that you do really effectively in this novel, and it's very interesting to read it, is we're reading a mystery novel, and as you say, there's, a, there's characters, there's murder, but at the same time, you're constantly lampooning the mystery genre because Claudia is, is an aficionado and she knows all the tropes and she knows that she's, you know, out acting out all the cliches herself. I think that that's a really interesting approach. And as a reader, it gives you a kind of, again, 
in the way that your family allows a three-dimensional kind of uh, viewpoint the way you've created the immigrant family allows you a three-dimensional understanding of the immigrant experience. It's the same thing with the, the mystery in this, in that between the Inspector Juan Guan novels and the way Claudia thinks about mysteries are, um, and the actual mystery that is in the, the novel, you get it's a real 3D experience. And I was wondering <laughs> if you had intended it that way and... and also, obviously, you're well read in the mystery genre. So I'm curious, who are your, who are a couple of your favorites, or were there any specific inspirations for Claudia in this novel? Yeah. So, so I will say that um, that I did not originally set out to write a murder mystery. Okay. Um, so, although that is that is where I ended up, I think I always had the idea of veracity which is an online dating detective agency i always had that idea for a detective agency because i really like the concept of it um and i like the idea of the detective as a character like a character whose function in the novel is to uncover secrets and who kind of puts to get like finds clues or puts together clues um, and then interprets them in a creative way to reach some kind of conclusion. And so I like that idea of it. And when I originally started writing this novel, um, the mysteries that were involved that I thought that the verifiers would end up solving were quieter mysteries um, to do with more to do with love and relationships. Why would someone cheat? Why would someone lie about something personal to themselves? Um, but unfortunately, or fortunately, I, I found that I had problems kind of sustaining a narrative momentum with, with these discrete mysteries. It didn't feel like something big enough was coming, uh, coming together. And so finally, I thought, well, maybe I'll try killing someone and we'll see what that does. And once I did, it kind of kicked the narrative engine into a higher gear. I think. Um, unfortunately, at that point, like I kind of knew who was killed, but and I kind of knew how it was done because I had set certain parameters for myself, which was that I didn't want police involvement. I wanted this to be an amateur sleuth setup. Um, but I also needed the crime to be solvable from by an amateur sleuth from the outside. And so because of that, there were certain limitations as to how the murder was committed and also how um, the detective was able to solve it. Um, and then I think once I just leaned into the fact that I was writing a murder mystery, then, you know, as, as you had guessed, I did also, the mystery genre is another one of my childhood favorite genres. And so I would say my kind of biggest classic influences growing up were Agatha Christie, Christie um, and also Arthur Conan Doyle in terms of the Sherlock Holmes mysteries. I think personally, I'm actually more of an Agatha Christie and specifically Hercule Poirot fan. Um, and then I also read, you know, um, a few more classic golden age detective authors when at, as I got a bit older, um, like Josephine Tay and also Georges Simenon. Um, and then I think, I think one 
more contemporary series that I actually drew some inspiration from as I was writing this novel was actually the Tana French, um, the, the Dublin Murder Squad stories. And I think it was because a bit of an issue that I had with the classic detective stories is that the story is always about the mystery and how the detective solves the mystery. And it's not so much about the detective themselves. And so you don't really see how each mystery changes the detective and you don't really see them develop, I think, as a, as a full person. Um, it, it, kind of, it kind of feels like the detective can be just, the, the, the only function of the detective is just to kind of figure out what has been done in a clever way. And then I read Tana French and I felt like her, sto- her, her novels, which had mysteries and murders and you know, questions that needed to be solved, her novels were all about the detectives. And I think the reason why I, I and, probably, and millions of other people find her novels so compelling is because we are drawn into the life of the detective that is kind of the protagonist of each one of her novels. And the mystery is important to the detective and the mystery indelibly changes the detective. And that is why we, you know, why, why we find it so powerful. And so I kind of felt like when I read Tana French, I was like, oh, this is the type of mystery that I would like to write, which is one that is centered around the detective. Um, and that kind of the mystery shapes and changes who the detective is as she moves through the novel. With that said, I think I knew I didn't want the police procedural set up. And so I kind of went back to what I was more familiar with personally, which is that amateur sleuth um, murder mystery solving setup. And so I guess because I was pretty familiar with um, those classic stories, I found it, um, you know, it, I, I don't think I intentionally set out to make fun of them, but they are pretty easy to make fun of sometimes, especially the Sherlock Holmes insane deduction about how, you know, from like a footprint next to the windowsill, you can tell that the culprit was, you know, had recently undergone a divorce and had red hair and, you know, walked with a walking stick. And so I just felt like it would be kind of fun to have Claudia acknowledge, even as she was kind of living out her own murder mystery, that she is in a murder mystery and you know all the the kind of um funny coincidences or leaps of deduction that that those novels can sometimes have now this novel is called the verifiers and it's set in the world of online dating and and you have a lot of fun with the tech and also with the people who work in tech uh, <laughs> namely, the the three uh, com- uh, main characters at uh, Verifiers Incorporated. So, uh, talk about creating these three. I I was an IT guy for many many years. Oh wow! Okay. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. I was particularly. I thought you did a great job with Squirrel. <laughs> oh, Thank but, you. I'm I'm glad you think so. <laughs> uh, you have. So, Official stamp of approval. Uh, yes. So uh, talk about, um, did you do a lot of research into the world of online dating? Because 
I mean, all the things you bring up seem completely realistic to me. And we are now living in a, I mean, the world potentially changed incredibly about maybe five days ago when a scientist at uh, Google announced that uh, he thought he was pretty sure that one of their chatbots was sentient. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, right now, you know, that's kind of like a minor news story and it's good for a couple of laughs or, uh, yeah, really, I've heard that before. Still... (laughs) The, the the potential is there for us to have just witnessed, you know, uh, the beginning of, a, a, you know, a, a new species on this planet, an artificial species. So talk about uh, setting a mystery in a setting that is changing really, really fast and in how you do the research and how you make sure that it seems you know, feels really right, which I have to say, it does feel really right. That's great that that you think so. Um, And that was actually one of my concerns while writing it, which is that I would write it and then people who are familiar with data um, and machine learning and AI would be like, this is rubbish. You know nothing about what you're saying. So far, thankfully, that has not happened. Um, so I will say that I guess I come at I came at it from a few angles. Um, in terms of the online dating aspect of it, that was kind of the original hook that I had for the story, and that was you know partially probably partially inspired by just my own experiences online dating, which I should say were very positive. I met my wife online, and you know so far it's still a happy ending. Um, but you know you always wonder when you meet someone online because it's so divorced from um, any wider context, like you're not meeting them in, at work or in school, you don't have mutual friends. So there's always just that question, like what could someone be lying about? And I was thinking about that question on two different levels, because I think there is kind of the deliberate lie, which is someone who deliberately chooses to conceal something about themselves or, you know, misstate something about themselves. But then there is also that kind of higher level question of someone who just doesn't know themselves well enough such that what they say that they are or what they're looking for in an online dating profile is not in fact what they actually want or who they actually are. And to me, I kind of found that higher level question almost more interesting And I think from there, you know, I started thinking about, well, so much of our contemporary tech is basically about trying to know us better than we know ourselves. So trying to predict what movies we would like, given, you know, what we have watched or trying to predict what we would buy next, where, which vacation destinations we would go to next, just trying to predict what we would do. Um, And, you know, I think the ideal, of course, would be to, to become better at predicting our actions and our behavior than we ourselves are. And so I just thought that it was really interesting to apply this um, in the online dating context for a few reasons. I think one is that, like, I think kind of finding a significant other is something that's very important to a lot of people. So it's not a trivial decision, unlike, you know, what movie should I watch tomorrow? 
Um, I think number two is that to the extent that you want to use technology to try and help you find a match, it is actually in your own interest to provide as much information about yourself in order for kind of the app or the algorithm to do a better job finding you potential partners. And so it felt like there the setup is already such that consumers would want to give these companies more information so that they would have a better chance at finding the quote-unquote right one. Um, I think thirdly, it just felt like online dating was kind of an interesting arena to explore questions that I think actually extend beyond online dating to all aspects of our lives to the extent that we provide our personal data to corporations in order for them to help us make our lives easier. And I mean, I actually do really appreciate you know, the fact that my life has become much more streamlined and convenient as a result of all the technologies that we have access to now. Like, for instance, the fact that we're able to talk today over Zoom is, exactly. is very it's a, nice. It is. It's great. <laughs> yes. But I think I just wanted to take a bit of a look at kind of the potential trade-offs or the potential considerations behind um, these arrangements that we have right now with in terms of how we use technologies in our personal and our social lives. And so I think the, the online dating model that I actually came up with in the book is deliberately data heavy because I wanted to look at kind of a, a couple of questions. I wanted to look at, you know, what companies can use this data for if we give it to them. And I also wanted to look at how well can these algorithms predict what we do if we give them enough data. And I think on a third level, I also wanted to look at, you know, again, to the extent that there is enough data out there, um, whether or not um, kind of AI that we build is able to leverage on that data to you know, eventually become more and more sophisticated. And so it just felt like, like online dating was um, a kind of a good arena to look at all of these questions in. Um, in my day job, I'm also a lawyer. And so I was also thinking about it from a data privacy legal framework. Um, and I've also done some work in just looking at the considerations around acquiring data um, not on the personal data or online dating context at all, but just in terms of financial data that companies acquire to try and better predict, for instance, whether or not certain companies or sectors would do better than others. And so I kind of took that, that framework and applied it to online dating because um, I felt like, like, I mean, it's definitely more interesting than financial data. So, You know, it one of the things I thought that was really interesting about this book, again, in a manner that's fun and engaging, you, you do name check Philip K. Dick. Yay, thank you very much. <laughs> um, but also, you this book does a great job of dealing with one of, of the things that he wrote about a lot, and you were alluding to this, is I think at its core, this is a book about identity. And it's about how well we know ourselves, mm -hmm. how much we are making ourselves in the instant, and how much we outline for ourselves who we're going to be, and yeah. how well those outlines fit 
within the plans and things that actually happen in our lives. We may outline and say, well, I'm this kind of person and these are things that I do. But then you get out in the world and say, well, no, whatever the heck I was thinking back there was wrong. and I'm going to go this way. So it's a book about how well we know ourselves, how well we know others, which is not at all. We really can't. <laughs> There's nothing. The, the difference between a, a bot and a human is indetectable in the the texting realm. Really, at this point, um, the 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 chatbots are as good or better than than humans at being humans. <laughs> so, and I think too, you come up with this really interesting uh, idea of stage one and stage two, and eventually we get to stage three. Uh, uh, data acquisition. So talk about those different stages because I thought that was one of the interest, really interesting concepts in your novel. Yeah, so so in the novel, um, stage one data refers to the data um, that online dating platforms collect that is data provided to them by the user themselves. So for instance, the user saying, well, you know, I, I like beach vacations and I want to have three kids and I'm looking for someone to move to the suburbs with me. Um, And then stage two data would be data that is derived from what the user actually does in terms of, you know, they say that they want to live in the suburbs, but maybe every night they're partying in Brooklyn. Um, or they say they want kids, but, you know, they don't never visit, I don't know, like their brother and sister who have, who have kids or, you know, they, they just live a lifestyle that seems incompatible with, with that and seem to enjoy very much. And so the idea was that um, stage two data might be more accurate because people have a lot of preconceived notions and assumptions about who they are. Um, and also who they ought to be. Um, And so rather than trying to determine who someone is based on what they tell you, you should try and determine it based on what they actually do. And I think I actually got this idea from, I think it it was something years ago, I think when Netflix was trying to improve its um, algorithm in terms of predicting what movie someone might want to watch next. And they used to try to predict it based on what people put on their wish list. And then they realized that actually people put movies on their wish list that they don't want to watch, but they feel like they should watch. Like, you know, movies that are critically acclaimed, but terminally depressing or something. And so they kind of shifted the algorithm to look at what other people with your, who had watched the same movies that you had previously watched would be watching next. And then they started recommending those movies to the users. And I think their accuracy went up by a lot. And so it just felt like, well, if that's true in the case of movies, it's probably true in the case of lots of other things as well. And I do think it's also true that to the extent that we move through a society that has expectations of us and notions, like notions imposed by family or by you know various institutions that these are the things that you should want and this is the path that you should go down. Um, to the extent we can never really separate 
whether or not what we want is a function of what we really want or what we feel like we should want. And I think to a certain respect, I kind of try to touch on that as well in terms of um, like, for instance, with, with Claudia feeling like there are certain model minority expectations that are placed upon her by her mother and her brother. And you see that her brother, for one, is going down this particular path, which is kind of the socially approved, family approved path. And I just wanted to just, and again, you know, I didn't want this novel to become a story about that, but I did just want to look at this idea that for all of us, we do have expectations placed upon ourselves and those expectations, consciously or not, influence how we behave and the decisions that we make. And I guess kind of, and maybe that's where the more science fiction-y aspect of, of this novel comes out is this idea that um, if, you, if, you are a, if you believe that, that you can kind of better understand what someone wants, like there is a gap between what they should want, what, or rather what they want to want and what they really do want, if there is some way to use technology to kind of nudge people one way or the other such that they end up, you know, despite themselves in the place that they profess that, that they actually want. Um, and that is actually also something that um, I had kind of based off of um, this, this theory about nudging, which is basically what default choices um, a society presents its individuals with um, like a, a simple example would be, you know, putting fresh fruit at the eye level and putting candy, you know, like too high or too low at a grocery store. And so when you walk in straight away, you see the fruit and the default is that that is easier for you to take. Um, whereas kind of flipping that, if you were to just put all the junk food, like right at the front where it's really easy to see and hide away the the better the like better for you foods then you can kind of shift people's default decisions in those types of small ways and that's a theory that um Cass Sunstein who I think is a is an economist um has written about I think he has a book called Nudge which I read and you know I, I found um very interesting you know one of the things that Science fiction always warned us about was the idea of universal, you know, 1984 was famous for making us scared of that. We'd always be under observation by Big Brother. Mm. And it turns out that we have, you know, taken that model and turned it upside down in that we are all Big Brother now. It would do the the government need does not need to surveil us because we are all surveilling ourselves constantly, and we can we have reached inescapable surveillance by choice, <laughs> not by it being thrust upon us. And I think that uh, your novel does a good job uh, of you know playing with that idea and showing us you know how much we are interested in seeing ourselves and recording ourselves and how those recordings can be taken out of context and re-edited and moved. So talk, talk about, uh, you know, the surveillance aspect of your novel, which um, I, I must say that, 
makes me fairly terrified of dating platforms. <laughs> I, 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 I'm too long in the tooth for, for such things, but uh, <laughs> I, it's, it's still a fairly uh, frightening prospect. Yeah. So I will say, I will say again, though, that I do feel like, I mean, online dating is, um, is definitely one manifestation of this. And I think, for instance, when the gay male dating app Grindr first came out, I think what was, um, what was thought to be really good about it was that it, like, you could turn on your location and then you could just find people who were in your immediate vicinity. Um, I think it was originally intended as a hookup app. And then, of course, Tinder, which was kind of the straight version of Grindr, came along and it also used those same principles. But even outside of um, online dating, though, I mean, I feel like we, we do that all the time in terms of, again, just the, the volume of the information that I think we now feel comfortable sharing with complete strangers. Like, I feel like people like to say that, you know, if 20 years ago... Um, you you told someone that oh you know enter in your exact address and give your exact location to this stranger who will drive up in a car and you will get into that car and that stranger will drive you away you know people would have freaked out but yeah. then now we do that all the time with with uber and lyft and you know ride hailing services and similarly you know food delivery it's like we're able to track our delivery guys. They come towards us. They are able to track where we are as well so they can make the handoff of food most efficient. Um, and so I feel like I feel like in some senses, there is a level of trust in our society um, that that you know maybe is is kind of driven by our reliance on these types of technologies because it does definitely make our lives more convenient and it makes our lives more efficient. I mean, I think, I think to a certain extent, we save a lot of time. I think, you know, we're, we're able to, to get the outcomes that we want um, in a more efficient manner. Um, and I guess the question also is, I think kind of, again, at the time that I started writing my novel, I think there was this idea of like tech as the good guy, like, oh, you know, tech will save us all. And then I think along the way, that kind of morphed, I think, especially as we found out more about what um, tech companies were doing with our data, or maybe just the lack of oversight that they had um, over who was accessing our data in some cases. And we definitely saw a big shift with the Cambridge Analytica uh, scandal with Facebook, for instance. And so the question is maybe, you know, as we kind of, continue down this direction to the extent that we continue to the extent that distrust of big tech increases, then perhaps we might think about scaling back, you know, how, how we behave right now. But, and this is pure speculation on my part. I mean, I wonder if it was because when kind of all of these um, technologies were first being put in place in terms of location tracking, in terms of, basically um, various companies being able to, to review what you had done online and use that to predict what you would do next, that at that time, tech companies seemed benign and it seemed like this is something that would only make our lives easier. And so we kind of went into it, you know, feeling fairly sanguine. 
And I guess the question is whether, you know, maybe 10 years down the road, it will be a complete 180 from that situation. And then, you know, we, we might actually be, be scaling back. But I mean, at least, you know, based on my very limited personal experience, it seems like we're just getting more and more comfortable with, um, with how much information we, we put out there. Uh, yeah, we, we thought it would be dystopia, but then we, when we started living in it, it turned out to be not so dystopian at all. We kind of like this dystopia. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> We made exactly. for ourselves. It's now, not too bad. <laughs> no, no, it's working out pretty well for me, at least, and you. So um, this novel is so much fun, and so I'm guessing it really sets up for a sequel. Uh, have you started that sequel yet? <laughs> Um, yes, yeah. so I have actually started started working on a sequel, um, and I'm at that early stage in the novel now where you know you're just like it feels like you're like moving through a fog trying to figure out where you'll be going next. Um, but I'm I'm really excited. I mean, I I love kind of creating that world and the characters, and um, I'm really excited and grateful that I get that I have an opportunity to kind of continue the adventures that, that all these people have. I think there are, I mean, on the personal side, there's more that I want to delve into in terms of um, what happens with the family. Um, and then I think kind of on the tech side that I would also like to look at, you know, other aspects of contemporary technology that kind of shape, you know, how, how we think about ourselves and what it means to be human. Um, and then also a whole bunch of people have asked me if there's going to be any romance for Claudia, because I feel like some people felt like, like that, like that was, that got short shrift in the, in the first novel. So, um, you know, I want to think about a bit about that as well. Well, so. I wanted to, to, to mention that I thought that you did a really good job in this novel of bringing up the the immigrant experience, the gay experience, and, and but integrating them into an everyday life that was believable and really fun and relatable. So I I thought that the the way you wove that web was quite skilled, and part of that skill also comes from the beautiful writing that you do. It's a book that's funny. But the sentences are really nice, and there are lots of them you'll read. One might want to read a couple of times because they're particularly witty. Uh, do these uh, just fall off the tip of your pen as you're swimming through the fog? No, not at all. It's it's hard labor. <laughs> but I, I will say that um, I think in for for this particular series, um, I think what really helped was that when I did come up with the character of Claudia, like. I felt like I could, like I had a good sense of her voice. And so because of that, like I feel like like I'm able to kind of write consistently consistently in her voice. But it is definitely, I think, a bit of a distinctive style because of who she is and because we are so much in her head and this is her in a in a monologue. So um, but yes, no, it's it's definitely not not easy. <laughs> I've been speaking with Jane Peck. Her new novel is The Verifiers. Thank you for joining me, Jane. Oh, no, thank, thank you so much. This was really fun. And, you know, thanks for reading the book and, you know, for having me on your show.
You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.